Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Wild West Podcast, where today... I'm very excited to get to my conversation with ocean swimmer Ben LeCompte. Ben is known for taking on massive open water swims. That's his thing. He swam across the Atlantic Ocean in 1998, and then last year he attempted to swim across the Pacific from Japan to San Francisco, uh, but he had to cut the trip short because of damages to his support boat. Most recently, though, Ben finished a swim from Hawaii to San Francisco that took him through the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You've probably heard about it. It's that big swirling mass of plastic bags, laundry baskets, disposable razors, fishing nets, microplastics, and all kinds of garbage uh, that's you know greater than the size of Texas floating in the Pacific. So Ben set a course through the plastic patch and he and his crew along the way collected water samples and trash samples for research purposes and then they also took a whole catalog of these surreal images of Ben interacting with different pieces of floating garbage along the way. It's basically a big effort to raise awareness about the plastic patch and get us thinking about what we can do to correct our relationship to plastic. So along the way, Ben found toilet seats and toothbrushes and all kinds of stuff we use in our lives every day. The photos are really striking. They're really depressing but effective. And that's because even if you've read about plastic pollution in the ocean, hearing about Ben's firsthand experience, seeing it up close, swimming through it for days on end, it really grounds the issue. He describes, for example, being able to tell how long a piece of plastic has been in the ocean by looking at the plankton growing on it. Well, the big misconception is about the, what the garbage patch is. A lot of people think that it's a big floating island of plastic that we just have to get there and then get it out of the water, and that's the solution, which is not, no. Ben and his crew spent 80 days at sea total. They arrived at the very end of August, and I caught up with Ben a few weeks after he'd been back. So he'd had that time and that distance to really step back and reflect on the whole trip. So we talk about the expedition and what Ben learned, and then also how... Ben occupies his mind for seven or eight hours at a time during these swims where it's just him alone in the water. And then also, how he was able to psych himself up to hop into the cold ocean surrounded by trash day after day after day. We'll get into my conversation with Ben in just one minute, but first, this brief message. All right, we're back. Now on to my conversation with ocean swimmer Ben LeCompte. How's it going, Ben? Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for making the time. Appreciate it. Of course. So, quickly, do you live in Austin, Texas? Yes, Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's not exactly a big open water swimming community there, I'd imagine. Not in the ocean, but in the lakes and the river. So, okay. So, it's what I do. That's where you train? Yes. Gotcha. And I run a little bit also and ride bicycle too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Well, before we get into the details of the big swim that you just completed and the project that you just completed, uh, where you spent 80 days at sea, right? Correct. And swimming for several hours every day, sometimes eight hours a day. Correct. What's the recovery in the days immediately after coming back? Like, what is your body going through? What are you going through mentally? It's more the mental part that uh, is uh, more challenging than uh, physical. Physical, you know, what I am doing, even though if it's a lot, it doesn't require recovery time. I mean, I lost a lot of weight, so I just, that part that I have to uh, eat a little bit more and uh, recover the, all the, the fat that I lost. But it's mentally, because mentally you are so used to being that routine and so used to th- see the same thing over and over. Once you come on land, everything is totally new, you know, new smell, mm-hmm. new noise. Uh, new colors uh, so it's overwhelming at the beginning the first day that you are there on land and then after you have to take in everything and then uh, it's kind of a bittersweet uh, um, situation because there is things that you are happy to see again like family and friends and all that but at the same time I think that you are going to uh, to leave behind that you know you enjoy and mm-hmm. you are not going to uh, to be able to have that anymore yeah yeah, I one of your crewmates wrote on Instagram after you guys landed, Heather, her name is, she wrote this interesting social media post where she said, like, you know, it's great to be back on land, but she felt overwhelmed and kind of upset, maybe, about, you know, she was describing how on land we live our lives completely surrounded by plastic, like everything she touches is plastic, and she's getting served in plastic, and... Um, it just seemed like sort of a sad, like she couldn't escape it, and it was kind of a sad post. But it was interesting to read from somebody who's been, you know, away for, um, you know, essentially two and a half months or so. So did you go through anything like that when you came back? When I came back, you know, it's back to the regular world because over there we're not in the real world. We yeah. saw the consequences of the real world and the impact that we have that we shouldn't have. I mean, the ocean should be uh, the, looking the same now as it used to look uh, 200 years ago. It's not not the case. So uh, it is sad in the way that you realize that there is no silver bullet. You realize that we are really, uh, yeah, everything is plastic around us. You cannot escape it, right? Uh, it's not that plastic is bad. It's just that we are bad about using plastic, mm, and yeah. so it's a um, it's a human problem. It's a habit problem. It's something that we have been using for many years now. That we need to change the way we uh, use plastic and the way we interact with it, and that's a, that's a steep uh, climb. Yeah, definitely. So there's obviously things that we can be doing at the legislative and regulatory levels to help with plastic uh, consumption, recycling, availability, that kind of thing. But what you guys just got done talking about on the panel to a certain extent is how the change needs to come from individuals, from consumers. So what have you done in your life since you kind of got involved in this, uh, this movement, this effort, this project to, you know, re- what changes have you made in your life essentially day to day maybe? Right. I think the easiest way to go by is to look at what you are going to use that is made out of plastic, but just for once, or so single-use plastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to uh, 
to change and not use it, a straw, a glass, a cup, a bottle. It, it requires a little bit of planning at the beginning, especially if you think about water bottle. Now you have to think about carrying your own bottle with you, mm -hmm. but it's just about changing your habit. So, but very often uh, you are not going to be uh, perfect in doing that. You know? uh, I go to a grocery store and I forget my own bag. I say, oh man, I forget yeah. my bag. But I will make myself carry those items without the bag from the car back to the cashier and they get pissed off at me but I do that <laughs> so that I reinforce it I say oh next time I need to make sure I have my bag with me mm -hmm. so it's uh, basically the all the new habits that we have to relearn and, and, and go back to a more natural way of, uh, of living and then after it's finding alternative to plastic not not every time you would be able to do that. You know, when you go to a grocery store, it's, uh, everything is wrapped into plastic, and that is very, very difficult to find other ways to uh, live without plastic. Yeah. And uh, for clothing too, you know, synthetic clothing versus uh, natural clothing. And, and, and but, I think it's an exercise, mental exercise. You first have to. And that's what we try to do with the uh, the expedition. You have to raise the awareness, you know, to educate people about what the problem, and then have them make their own choice and hopefully uh, motivate them and inspire them to make those those choices. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco. I'm not sure if you're aware. You probably are, though. That recently the city banned plastic straws, um, and. San Francisco International Airport recently banned uh, single-use plastic water bottles, so they can't sell those anymore at the airport. But besides straws and water bottles, are there other products that you think that, you know, kind of need to be next on the agenda for people to be thinking about that we need to either eliminate or change in, you know, kind of a drastic way? Other behaviors or patterns that you think that we need to, we should be thinking about right now, kind of around the bend? Yeah, I think when it becomes a little bit more into uh, complex uh, plastic use, like plastic that are part of the packaging, mm -hmm. and uh, as a consumer, it's very difficult to find an alternative way not to use that uh, that product, right? And I think what we need to do is to do anything that we have in our power to change the behavior of uh, companies and to change the behavior of a policymaker. So that is up to them to provide a better product to the consumer, to think about the end result and the waste, ma waste management of their product, what is being consumed, what is being uh, uh, used, uh, what happened after that. You know, They are still responsible to put a product that is uh, sustainable. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about the project that you just completed. So. You were, if I'm understanding this right, you were initially planning to swim across the entire Pacific from Japan to San Francisco. Correct. And then that got derailed uh, about a third of the way through. There was an issue with the ship. Correct. Uh, with your support boat. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, the, uh, we uh, destroyed the, the mantle. And uh, we had a thing that we couldn't fix. So we had to uh, uh to go to the main uh, land which was uh, hawaii which is not a bad place to stop <laughs> by yeah. and uh, as uh, we uh, sailed to hawaii we still kept on uh, collecting uh, samples and data on microplastic microfibers and so on and uh, yeah last year so it was a, a trip and an expedition definitely focused on the great pacific garbage patch when we did from hawaii to uh, san francisco yeah 
And so that just wrapped up at the end of August is when you arrived in San Francisco, yes. yeah? Yes, we arrived uh, after 80 days at sea. We yeah. arrived at the end of uh, uh, August, yes. Yeah. Uh, so can you just talk about the trip in general? What was the mission? What did you see? What did you find? What surprised you? Within one generation, I've seen uh, the ocean without any plastic to now there is plastic everywhere I go. So that became a big motivator for me to uh, do that with uh, uh, my kids in mind and what it will be for them and trying to think about, I don't want to be a person who knows that there is a problem and just kick the, uh, the can down the road to the next one. And um, it was a perfect and logical uh, thing for me to do, to use a swim to get the attention about the, the issue, to show what we find, found, and also to uh, use it as a way to get more data on the, on the problem. Because by us doing a full transect of uh, data from uh, Japan to, uh, to the US uh, was the first time ever. Usually you have expeditions that go at sea for one month and they collect at certain location, but never a full transect like that. So it was mm. a, a first thing that, that we, uh, uh, yeah, that we were able to do. So that was the main, the main focus, you know, that, and we need to realize that it's important. What we do on land is definitely impacting the ocean, it's definitely impacting sea life. And uh, uh, it's a problem that we can solve, though. It's a problem that, uh, that's in, in our hands and we have the power to, to change that. So yeah. the, uh, the, the, the main thing of the, of the expedition is just that, to raise awareness, to uh, try to inspire people to make some changes and to collect uh, information and valuable data for, uh, for science. Yeah. Take us through day to day. What are you doing? How many people are on board and what's your routine look like? Okay, so we were at 10 on, on the boat, 67 uh, uh, foot uh, sailboat. And while I was swimming, so I am swimming beside the little dinghy that was leading me where I needed to, to go. And the dinghy was pulling a rope beside it uh, so that I was just looking down, like you will be looking in a pool down to that line and mm. you don't have to lift up your head to look at where you are going. Mm -hmm. So they were leading me and you had usually uh, two people on the dinghy and the rest of the crew was on the on the sailboat. Uh, I am Ocean, the name of the sailboat. And there, during that day, they were very busy into collecting, you know, data, into uh, doing some observation. So it was a, a factory over there while I yeah. while I was swimming. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was very important to uh, to do that also because usually when you are on a sailboat or any type of boat and you go across uh, the ocean you just see very little right you uh, usually a sailboat goes much faster than the swimmer anyway yeah. so since we are going so slow it gives us more opportunity to uh, look and to observe and to collect uh, also data but by me uh, looking under the surface, we are doing more than just scratching the surface. Each time I was able to look at the water column and to see what type of uh, plastic is there, what type of microplastic, what type of organism. Whenever we're close to a big debris or a ghost net, I was able to see you know, what type of ecosystem is being created around it. And uh, so it, uh, it was a very particular perspective that I was bringing to uh, not only the um, the team's perspective, but also the uh, amount of data and collection. So it was visual that we'd never had before. Yeah. You guys took kind of an artistic approach with it. Um, the photos are pretty striking, and it seems like you guys, that was a big, a big piece of this, was capturing these moments and these images. 
Um, so was it just that when you're swimming along and you see something that catches your eye, you would kind of stop and then figure out how you wanted to portray that, or how did that work? It happened in different ways. It was very, uh, <clears throat> very fluid in that way. So if for some, for example, somebody on on the boat was seeing something interesting, then we decided, okay, a uh, uh, photographer or videographer needs to go in the water and picture that. Or if I was swimming and seeing something interesting, interesting, then I will signal them and they will come and uh, and take that, uh, yeah, take videos of it as well. Okay. So it was just opportunistic, you know. In the same way I was swimming, uh, <clears throat> the route was determined by our uh, uh, scientists. They wanted to get data on very specific area uh, within the gyre. Mm -hmm. So they gave us some areas uh, they wanted to uh, uh, us to be. And it's how I was swimming. I was, okay, I need to go over there because it's important uh, for what we are doing. I was going there and we are trying to hit also the area that were the most or the highest density of plastic as well. Because visual, it's very important. Right? The, you can always talk and do so much by telling people what you see, but uh, pictures very, can be very powerful. So we knew that we needed to capture as much as possible for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, it worked. I mean, I would say with me, I've seen plenty of photos of plastic in the ocean, microplastics in the ocean, the gyre, or the, the plastic patch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But the images, these are totally different because you're interacting with the garbage. You know, what were a few of the pieces of garbage or the, the plastic that you saw that maybe surprised you or, or stands out in your memory? So you have two big categories. One is all the household uh, items that you find and the other it's everything from a uh, fishing uh, industry. Yeah. So the ghost net, the lines, the fishing lines, the crate where they uh, keep the fish in, uh, the buoys. So you see uh, quite a bit of that. And then uh, you will see uh, toothbrushes, you will see water bottle, you will see water cap. Uh, bottle caps. Mm -hmm. You will see a uh, razor. You will see something that you know you have used in the past. You know yeah. that somebody put his hand or her hand on it. It belonged to someone before, and then it's in the middle of the the ocean. But then after, it becomes it degrades. So it turns into you know smaller pieces and microplastic, and that you see that a lot to a high density of it. But you cannot know what is the origin you know um, if it's from a bottle if it's from a, something um, a harder or from the industry or it's hard to 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 know exactly what it is so right. we had on on that uh, on that aspect we had many different uh, protocols to follow and one of them is to collect certain pieces of plastic and freeze them because they are going to uh, process the plastic and to try to see to determine what is the origin of the, the plastic, like a, running a DNA on, uh, on the plastic, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the protocol that, that we did. But yeah, it's, it's uh, some of the pieces are there that so you can recognize them. Say, oh yeah, I've used that before. What, what is it doing in the water? And then you have all the very thin uh, plastic, like the wraps or the Ziploc bag, and that mm -hmm. that you want usually you won't see it at the surface of the water. That's why it's very important to uh, look below because as soon as you have a little bit of sea life growing on it, the buoyancy changes and mm. the, the plastic will uh, go a meter or two meter down and yeah, you, you don't see it at all. And, but it, it was there, a lot of uh, 
regular plastic, like uh, plastic bags also that are starting to uh, degrade. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize before, but it sounds like you guys had an encounter with the great, what, what's it called, help me out, the ocean cleanup project yes. vessel. The right. big uh, boon yeah. uh, sort of trash collector that has been kind of controversial and initially broke when it was sent out. And then, but you guys, you guys saw the revised version, right, when you were out there? Yeah, so what was very interesting, and we are very fortunate that they uh, welcomed us on the ship and we spent a full day with them and talked with the people that were there. They were just uh, engineers, you know, it, uh, they were there to assess the. the the new device and they told us about the first device the big one being deployed that, that broke there was too much under too much stress and then they had to go back to the drawing board and put out a new system very fast because you just have a certain windows weather window where you could uh, try that system mm -hmm. so within I, don't, I think two months they were able to draw one and then uh, have one uh, working and they took it from Vancouver like to the the, the gyre and it was much smaller, of course, than the one they had before. And they were just in the stage of assessing the, uh, the performance and also how it will behave with different type of currents. So they were very open into having me swim around inside and uh, uh, evaluate the performance of it to see if there is plastic coming uh, inside and all that. And uh, yeah, it, it collects plastic, it's, uh, it's performing, uh, but uh, they, they all know also the people that we talked over there anyway they all know that uh, you know the problem is that the source too mm -hmm. you, know, you have to stop the problem at the source yeah once it's in the water it's great if we can remove it but we won't be able to remove uh, microplastic anywhere that pieces uh, that are five millimeter and smaller uh, but as long as we can remove some of the bigger pieces why not you know? yeah then after it's the question is that at what cost, you know? Is that yeah. better to uh, to invest in something else rather than put so much money into that? Is that a say, uh, kind of a odd um, way to, to think about, oh, we have a solution to the problem because we are going to pick up the trash, which is not true. Uh, so yeah, there is controversy there around that. There is, yeah. It was, it was interesting how that unfolded because it seemed like such a simple concept for the average individual who doesn't know a ton about the details of microplastics and plastics in the ocean and how we might go about fixing this problem to wrap their minds around. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to say we're just going to send this automatic vacuum cleaner out into the ocean. It's going to sweep up all the plastic and carry it back to us in this big container or whatever. And then, of course, there have been people who have come out and said, there's no way this is ever going to work. Um, just given like bathymetry and the way the ocean works, it just is impossible. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the first one goes out and breaks. And then people start criticizing the cost of this project and saying, like, why are we pouring all of this money and effort into this project that just isn't going to make a huge dent? Um, but you were in a pretty unique position to see how this thing actually functions right. on the water. So what's your kind of assessment of, of the whole thing? Like, is it worth it? Can it actually make a dent? Um, do you see it being positive or is there something... You know, is is there something that we need to be? Is there a lesson that we need to be learning from this whole ordeal surrounding uh, the ocean cleanup project? Another person that we met in the middle of the ocean was, <coughs> excuse me, Charles Moore. Charles Moore, the person who discovered the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and we had a discussion with him about the ocean and clean, clean up and what they were doing, and he said, you know, 
that device will work as it working if we put it right at the um, where they have the river flowing into the ocean hmm. and capturing yeah. plastic or that. And that I will understand that it would make sense to have that because it's close to land. It's where the plastic, uh, most of the plastic come from. 80% of the plastic you find in the ocean comes from river and uh, runoff. So that will make sense also in terms of monitoring it. You are not in the middle of the ocean. You don't need to have a big boat there uh, and with a lot of people on board monitoring the system. So I would think that it would be a better use of that system if you put it in that uh, in those locations, you know. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the ocean, I've seen it. I've seen it work in capturing some plastic that is there, but at the cost, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you can uh, justify that, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, I think it was in one of your the blog posts that you mm -hmm. put up from this last uh, this last project, where you were talking about how you're you're in the water for several hours every day and every morning you have to wake up and, and think about jumping back in the water and swimming and some days it was kind of hard to it was a challenge to find the motivation to do that right. so how do you you know psych yourself up at the beginning of a day to go back in and jump in the water again and swim through the swim through the garbage patch again yeah it was very routine what i had to do because i know that each day was going to be the same thing i had to be in the water for you know seven eight hours whatever the uh, the, the day was and uh sometimes it's difficult because um you are living on a boat, so the conditions are different. You don't have comfort. Uh, you maybe uh, have a bad night because of weather condition, or you know the food that you ate wasn't uh, holding that much. So um, it wasn't swimming eight hours and then after having a comfortable time. No, uh, the whole expedition was uh, kind of difficult at, at times more than others. But yeah, in the morning, so what I had to do is to make sure that I was living in the moment. I could never think about what is going to be the next week or what is going to be, uh, you know, when I swim the next 100 miles. or uh, Because you cannot wrap your brain around that. What does it mean to swim for another month? Or, you know, it doesn't make sense. You, you lose yourself. Mm -hmm. So I needed to think exactly and to live in the present and just focus on that. Say, okay, I'm going in the water for seven hours and then uh, go through it. And at the end of the day, okay, check mark. I've done what I have to do for that day. So now let's move into the next day. And knowing that if I perform like I'm supposed to perform each day, then I will meet my goal. But it's mind uh, over matter. Right? So uh, for me, what is most difficult uh, time during the day is to make sure that your mind is going to stay occupied throughout those seven or eight hours that you swim because as soon as your mind is not occupied then it's going to go and focus on the wrong thing mm -hmm. uh, I have lower back pain or I have a headache from the pressure of my goggles or the salt in my mouth I start to uh, you know, uh, have blister in my mouth and uh, so all those things so before going in the water, I went through a, a little uh, exercise of planning my day and making a schedule of what I will be thinking throughout the day. So I had that uh, in place. And uh, what I try to do is to dissociate my mind from my body. So the best way to do that uh, for me is to either leave moments that I have spent that I wanted to relieve, good moments, or create new ones. 
And uh, uh, the trick is to engage all your senses. So if you want to relive a moment that you had, you need to be very precise on who you saw, uh, what noise was there, uh, if you were eating, what was the smell, if you were outside, could you feel the sun on your skin or not? And once you engage all your senses, then it's very easy for your mind to dissociate from your, your body. So your mind is going to relieve that moment and your body is just going to be in autopilot. Right? And I try to, to do that throughout the day and being in those moments. And then you realize that when you do that, you are in a happy state, right? And when you are in a happy state, then you compress time. So you are relieving a moment that you had and then after two hours, you look at your watch and say, oh, it has been already two hours mm -hmm. and you're not realizing it. It's like uh, watching a movie that is very uh, yeah. uh, important and you, you like and you don't see the time passing. So yeah, that's what I, I had to do. And um, uh, it worked It worked pretty well with me, you know. You become better as you, uh, uh, the more you do it, it becomes easier to uh, get to that stage and uh, in your zone and then living your little world, little thing and, and time goes f uh, fly by like that. Yeah. Is that something that you practice uh, on land or that you, you know, a strategy that you came up with before you got in the water and started doing these big uh, endurance swims? Yeah, it's something that I have tried before and I have practiced also and on land and sometimes I miss my exit when I'm driving <laughs> because I'm in the zone. <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, it's something that you have to do uh, in order to uh, you know, to become better at it. The more you practice it, uh, uh, that's the trick. Yeah, interesting. So do you have, if you care to share, do you have any favorite moments that you enjoy reliving? Yeah, I found out that a lot of the moments that I relived uh, that were moments with my kids were very easy for me to go into that stage. Mm -hmm. Even moments that I had planned, not moment that I have lived. So I created moment, for example, of uh, windsurfing with them. So uh, you have to be very detailed. And so windsurfing with them meant, well, first we need to get the windsurf out of the garage and to just go through the process of doing that. So it will take maybe 10 minutes to get the surfboard and all that in my mind, relieving it. So it will take 10 minutes. So I will be very <laughs> precise on how I was going to do that. So uh, yeah, one, one uh, event like that, I would relieve. It would take maybe three hours for me to, uh, to go through it and to, to relieve it. But the one that I had very close uh, relationship and very strong feeling with the people I was thinking about were the most successful one. And then how are you just logistically, how are you eating when you're in the water? How are you doing anything you need to do in the water? So uh, I was doing only two things, swimming or eating yeah. and, or getting uh, information and uh, visual observation and so on. But yeah, that's the trick also. When you swim, you cannot get all the calories that you need to. I, was, I needed about uh, 6,000 calories per day. And I was taking a break every hour. And during those breaks, I was eating a soup. Uh, mm. So I liked the, the warmth of the soup. And yeah. it was easy already grind up. I don't have to chew up. So it was easy for my body to assimilate. And fresh bread. Uh, the uh, captain is an amazing baker, so every morning <laughs> a big loaf of bread, and uh, that worked very well for me. Because in the past I have tried all those uh, 
carbohydrates drink maltodextrin and all that but yeah. never never worked with me i found out that uh, i need to have the most uh, natural food as possible for my body to assimilate and mm. the soup uh, works perfectly so i was doing that and then after i was finished swimming you know you cannot get all your calories in one day like that so i was getting my lunch and my dinner boom right one after the other huh. and then at night i was still uh, hungry so if I woke up and felt hungry then I was going back to a galley and then ate some more before going back to to bed and the next morning started always with a big breakfast yeah uh, but I still lost quite a bit of weight I mean my uh, body fat went down to five percent uh, at the lowest I think yeah. yeah that's pretty low was that was the doctor on board concerned about that yeah a little bit especially uh, he told me oh Ben you don't eat enough I know that you just want to do it your way and all that you don't feel like you need to eat uh, so I think he was trying to hide some calories into my, yeah. my meals to, to beef me up a little bit uh, just giving you more cheese or something yeah oh, more oil more coconut oil more, yeah. more that's funny. Oh, so you obviously field all kinds of questions from reporters, from people who attend panels and discussions. And is there one thing that you can say uh, that you've learned about how Americans understand their use of plastics or the problem of plastics? Is there anything that you feel like is a, is a, a misconception that you're constantly running into while you're doing this kind of work? Well, the big misconception is about uh, what the garbage patch is. Hmm. A lot of people think that it's a big floating island of plastic that we just have to get there and then get it out of the water, and that's the solution, which is not. You know, high density of microplastic, high density of bigger pieces. And also what we don't see, it's uh, microfibers. So we were filtering waters to get uh, the concentration of uh, microfibers also, which is a very important thing, and that's why it was... Uh, awesome to have Icebreaker partner with us and, and sponsor the the expedition to collect those data because unfortunately with microfibers you cannot show what it is. Yeah, right? they don't don't have any picture of it or it has to be a microscope and all that, but it's not visual, so it's hard to connect with uh, with people. And uh, if you don't see it, how how can you get aware of the the problem? So uh, to know that it's important to try to move to a more natural fabric and to not use a synthetic fibers, uh, that's that's very difficult to communicate with, with people. Yeah. Uh, to get their interest and uh, you cannot really relate to that. So I found it, that part very challenging. Hmm. Whereas if you th talk about uh, plastic in general, it's easier because a bottle of plastic, people can relate to it and can see it in the water. We can show picture of it. We can show a, um, you know, pieces of plastic being inside a fish, for example. So it's very, it's, uh, yeah, it's tangible. Yeah. Microfiber is not, so it's very, very tricky. Yeah, I actually didn't know much about microfiber. I still don't know much about microfibers, mm -hmm. but I hadn't really heard of them until I started reading about this project. I'd heard about microplastics mm -hmm. and plastic beads and that kind of thing. So what are microfibers and how are they manufactured and how do they make their way into the ocean? Mm -hmm. So microfiber co comes mostly from uh, synthetic clothing on islands and all that. So 
whatever is not natural will have some microfibers. And then if you wash uh, like a regular load of clothes that is all uh, synthetic clothing, you are going to create about 700,000 uh, pieces of microfibers. And microfibers are one-fifth of the, uh, the size of the hair in terms of uh, you know, diameters. Mm -hmm. So it's very small, very small. You cannot see it. Uh, and uh, all those that are being created when you wash your clothes are going to go in the water and the water runoff. You don't have any filter that will hold it. Mm. And it ends up in the, in the ocean. So it's a fairly new uh, field of study because before it has always been about uh, microplastic and the plastic and microfibers came on, a, on the radar just uh, recently. So it's very hard to know the exact impact that it has on the sea life, on our human life. Uh, so that's why we're very happy to use that also to collect data and to get more, more information about the, the problem. Mm -hmm. And last question, Ben. Do you still want to take on the entire Pacific in one go? <laughs> you know, so last year, even I was very disappointed about not being able to uh, finish what I had started. <clears throat> I wasn't depressed about it because I realized that the swim is just one personal goal that I had, but the bigger goal was uh, the mission, you know, to uh, bring awareness and to raise attention about the problem. And that part of the expedition to cover the other part of not completing the swim. And uh, for me, I think I'm fine now not trying to do it over and try to, um, to cross the, the entire Pacific swimming. I think uh, whatever I will do next will be uh, more along those lines to find out how I can use what I know and what I do to better uh, uh, use the uh, the platform to bring awareness to uh, motivate people to to make some changes and to inspire some changes. So, will it be uh, another swim, another expedition? I quite don't know yet. Or will it be uh, try to influence more on the policymaker or uh, businesses? I'm not sure yet. But mm. it will be uh, something that I feel I can be more um, more active and create a, a difference. Awesome. Thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Thanks very much again to Ben for making the time to talk. For more information on his work, check out benlecompte.com. That's B-E-N-L-E-C-O-M-T-E.com. Or check him out on Instagram where his handle is thevortexswim. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod next, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. See you next time. <laughs>